The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. And welcome, well, welcome back to the Doctor Who pod here on SJP World Media. It's been a little while via you know, various reasons, Christmas, illnesses and all sorts of stuff. But we are back. We are returning with a fantastic slice of Christmas goodness, I think, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Joining me, as always, is my partner in time, the slightly poorly Mr. Dan Griffin. How are you, my friend? I would scream it, but I think I'll hurt my own brain. But it's Christmas! Um, Except it's not really. It's January, and we can't keep a schedule. So, fuck it. It's, uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm not too bad, all things considered, but I may just be a little little low energy, a little all over the place. My migraines have come back with a vengeance. And, uh, yeah, it just uh, just sends the the whole system a bit haywire. Mm. So this could be really interesting, though, because I might start on one episode and end up in another. (laughs) I don't think that would be the worst thing, because the episode we're covering today isn't great. So if you ended up talking about something else, it might be good. I I think I described it to you as catwank earlier. Yeah. Yeah, you, you did. That was a WhatsApp you sent yeah. me, yes. We are looking at the Christmas special from the Matt Smith era. Uh, when was it? 2010, Dan, I believe, wasn't it? Oh, about then, yeah. It was, yeah. I, I try and actually just block this from my memory completely because uh, it is utter bollocks. And this was actually picked by me as revenge for side-picking Vampires of Venice mm. earlier in the series. And I think... Um, I, I, in the end, it, it, it's backfired because I hated every second of making notes for this show. Yeah, and the thing is as well, I mean, the episode we're looking at, sorry, is, is called A Christmas Carol, and it's the one that if people remember with the nonsense flying fish, um, some lass you can sing a bit, and Matt Smith as the Doctor. Yeah. And it's, it's a weird one for me because I remember you telling me that this was crap when I did my, when I was doing my watch along with Charlie, getting back in, you know, watching all new Who in Order with her. Then we came across this, and I thought, okay, Dan's told me this is rubbish, but Dan also told me Vampires of Venice was rubbish, and it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I just want to <laughs> say, 100%, this is as bad as you told me it was going to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because just... But we might end up jumping around a bit, but just to give you sort of a bit of a background on this, or to anybody who can't quite remember, uh, this is the Christmas special that airs after the, the Matt Smith's first series. And the first series ended at Amy and Rory's wedding when they'd remembered the Doctor back into existence after he rebooted the universe by flying the Pandorica into his own exploding TARDIS, using Jack Harkness's vortex manipulator that River brought from a shady arms dealer called Dorian Maldivar as a big fat blue bastard. Mm. <laughs> It's pretty straightforward, really. Yeah, when yeah, when I put it like that. Um, the first thing we get is a, a relatively cool-looking sort of space visual looking down at a planet surrounded in thunderstorms and, and a crashing ship and, and uh, the captain of said ship saying Christmas is cancelled and, and they're bringing it in for a crash landing, which is all very dramatic and, and is probably just about the high point of the episode. Uh, we peak early in this one and the, when I say this is dog shit, it only gave me one actor who's been in anything remotely to do with Doctor Who before okay. and, and we see her here, the captain who uh, is, is an actress called uh, um, called Pookie Quesnel uh, played Dorothea Ames in class, which I've never seen and therefore I'm assuming you haven't either In what class? Class, yeah, it's a, a Doctor Who spin-off set at uh, Coal uh, Hill School oh, I think that's the name of it Yeah, Coal Hill School is the, the, the school that Susan attended in, and in, the, in the William Hartnell era and Barbara and um, Ian were teachers at, wasn't it? The stalker teachers. 
Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, we've got that out of the way, um, and from there it's pretty much all downhill. We get Amy appearing uh, in a police kissogram outfit, and Rory turning up in uh, in his Roman outfit, and people question because they've sent a distress signal from the honeymoon suite. Mm. Um, the clouds are apparently weird, which okay. Uh, the captain and the people present there saying, you know, why you dress the way they are, and so it's it's just a bit of fun. Though, at which point I've put hey, kinky shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and Amy in the policewoman's outfit, it's a good look for me. Uh, this the second high point of the episode. Mm. <laughs> I thought, with the ship though, this initial scene, the way it was laid out and the way people were all stood there looking at the big screen and so on, I kind of got like Star Trekky vibes from that. Yeah. It was a bit, yeah. Like I say, everything up to the intro is quite promising. Mm. And, you know, they've sent a distress signal, Amy saying, you know, just be on time for once, and we get a, a message saying, come along, Pond, and we see the uh, the TARDIS fly in front of them. Mm. And then we get the credits that are always good. So we're on a, we're a, we start on a decent trajectory. And even then, you know, we, we after the credits, we cut to a sort of steampunky-looking town with a giant building with some sort of beam generating from it, which is fairly sort of classic sci-fi and there's, there's Christmas decorations everywhere. And It uh, looked great, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, especially for the time as well, because we said before how CGI can age worse than practical effects. Mm. Um, this has aged fairly well so far. We get a voiceover from uh, from Michael Gambon, who's... Uh, who's not Dumbledore in this, he's basically Ebenezer Scrooge. Um, and it's saying on every world, wherever people are in the deepest part of the winter, at the exact midpoint, everybody stops and turns and hugs, as if to say, well done, well done, everyone. We're halfway out of the dark. Back on Earth, we call this Christmas, or the winter solstice. On this world, the world, on this world, <laughs> the first, on this world, on this world, the first settlers called it the Crystal Feast. Do you know what I call it? A bag of fucking bollocks. Um, <laughs> fuck off, Paddy Pimblet. Nobody wants you here. Um, <laughs> so they call it the Crystal Feast. How much medication are you actually on at the moment? Uh, <laughs> zero. Oh, right. <laughs> um, basically, it's Gambon sitting around saying that he calls it expecting something for nothing. Mm. And it's um, kind of it, it's a, kind of a, a decent intro into it. Again, we're still waiting for it to fall off a cliff, and we've got a family pleading with uh, Kaz. <laughs> this just this name just sounds so dirty. Michael Gambon's character calls Kazran Sadik. <laughs> a dick. <laughs> what's, what's wrong? What's wrong with you, mate? Kazran Sadik. Mm, I'll get the ointment, mate. Yeah, that's <laughs> to go to clinic. The nurse was really attractive. It's so embarrassing. It does sound um, like some kind of time traveller STD, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, this is yeah. I can't think of a pun. I can't think of a play on words for STD at the minute. I'm too fucked. <laughs> um, but they're basically pleading with Kazran to to let out Catherine Jenkins from this cryogenic pod that looks like it's straight out of the Batman and Robin uh, movie from 1999. I was expecting Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze to pop up from behind him and make an ice pun. I've um, seen that. Hey, it's a Chris, It's a just after Christmas miracle. Yeah, I've seen that. It's not very good, is it? Yeah, no, it's terrible. It's, it's, a, movie <laughs> that, it's a movie that I watch about once a year just to remind myself, no matter how shit Batman movies get, it can't be as shit as that. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, and speaking of uh, you know, Christmas or ice puns or something like that, uh, Gambon starts knocking on the glass and, and taunting this, taunting this frozen woman, trying to get her to wake up and says, do you know what, I think she's a bit cool about the whole thing. Oh, dear. So the jokes are actually below Batman and Robin standards, and then he orders his servants to laugh. Because, mm. of course he does. He's obviously the, the rich, Scroogey-type person on the whole thing um, with, with regards to that Dan sorry this is obviously a, a take off of the the, the the Scrooge tale isn't it the way it's done and so yeah. on so, yeah. do, do you have any kind of feelings about that particular story going in beforehand is it something that you enjoy uh, also there's various versions that have been made of it uh, and yeah. sort of you know my, my personal favourite is the Bill Murray film from the 80s I love that I think that's a really well done movie the tale itself this is a rehashing of it just with some silly sci-fi stuff thrown in I guess 
is it something that you like anyway or is it a tale that you're not too fond of or i absolutely adore the muppets christmas carol right yes it is my favorite christmas film bar none um I think Michael Caine plays Scrooge impeccably. He did not have to go as hard as he did and as serious as he did in a, in a, in a film that's populated by fun little puppet creatures. Yeah, um, it's brilliant. So yeah, you know, it's a, it's a classic. It's been re, it's been redone dozens of times. It's been done to death. I appreciate the idea of putting a new spin on it, uh-huh. but this whole episode is ham-fisted bullshit. Yeah, it really felt to me like. I, I don't really I can't think of the words it felt like they really sort of crowbarred that story into this episode well it, the whole thing is that I, I get what they're trying to do with the whole the doctor has to go back in time give Kazran all these happy memories to try and change his disposition to to make sure the ship can land safely because that, that's about the gist of it yeah but it's when it's when the doctor's on the communicator thing to Amy and he's saying, so I need a very, um, uh, sorry, there's Christmas carols playing in the background. And he's saying, I need a, I need a grumpy, you know, a grumpy evil man to come around and be nice just in time for Christmas. And he was saying, what's that in the background? He's saying, it's a Christmas carol. It's a Christmas carol, a Christmas carol. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, he repeats it three times as if to say, and then it's just outright saying, I'm going to do a Christmas carol. I'm going to be the ghost of Christmas past. Yeah. And, and all the Christmases, except he never gets round to the future. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I, I don't know how they would have worked that out if they did that, but that is a big part of the story that's missing, isn't it, really? Yeah. That they, you don't get... Because I, I always think back to the original story and, and obviously the various adaptations of it since. It's the Christmas future that is so scary to the main character. Mm. That, that is what kind of changes their ways isn't it that's the final mm. the final you know almost warning i guess and i'm gonna contradict myself a little bit because at the end they kind of do do the christmas future just not in the way that we'd expect mm. okay because well, well we'll get to that um and hope i remember to actually bring that back around um i'll, forget, I'll say it now because we're going to jump all over the place because towards the end of the episode um you know, it's where they're getting towards the all is lost moment of the story. Mm-hmm. The doctor sort of resolves the whole thing by showing younger Kazran, the older version of himself. Yes. And because there's a heavy theme of daddy issues in this, uh, <laughs> in this whole Christmas special, which is, which is just what you want at Christmas, you know? Um, yeah. But, but yeah. Bit, to be fair with the whole Christmas thing, it's the birth of Jesus and Jesus was effectively his own son. So yeah, that's complicated enough. <laughs> yeah, I think so, that's yeah. something else as well that is my big takeaway from this episode. I mean, first of all, as mad as this sounds, I spoke to Charlie today about this episode that we're covering because she has seen this obviously without with our watchback, and I said I'm not looking forward to, to to having to dive into it properly because I didn't enjoy it. And Charlie looked stunned because she did; she liked it. But I think it's got to a stage where Charlie just likes anything that's Doctor Who because she loves yeah. it so much. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I can I can see that it's and th- there's a couple of fun little bits in this, you know, when when you get into sort of the middle portion of it, but just the whole thing is just such a bag of bollocks. Mm. Just, it, it feels almost like they're trying to cram too much into it. Because oh yeah, definitely. Going back to the main story, we're, we're at a point where um, Kazran's saying that it's you know the, the she's volunteered for the dice as Catherine Jenkins and it's 4,500 Gideons and, and she's not coming out until the, the loan's paid because she's effectively collateral yeah which is quite a, a unique sort of dystopia thing to give it its due you know that bit really, I liked I thought that was a yeah. clever ta- yeah clever story story uh, story point I guess is what I'm trying to say we need money what are you going to put that money against we will give you a family member mm-hmm. like fucking hell that's oof. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> a bit, you know, a bit OTT for a Christmas special, but whatever. Um, Kazran get, and this is just more setting the scene because Kazran gets a call from the ship's president. President, Jesus, this is going to go swimmingly. Um, there's a galaxy class ship in the cloud layer, and they have to let it land or it'll crash. Um, it's from Earth, and there's four thousand life forms on board. Um, as soon as Kazran hears four thousand life forms on board, he says, "Not if we wait a bit." 
Yeah, very cold, very dismissive. Yeah. But it, again, There's even a... with that, sorry, Dan, even with that, they're trying to portray this character as being that very cold, sinister, evil, doesn't care, and all that sort of the usual Scrooge stuff, I guess. Mm. But even that, as as funny as a little line it was, just as throw away, oh, not if we wait a bit, even that felt really forced to me. Like it was unnecessarily yeah. bad, you know? It's again with like with the whole a Christmas Carol repetition. It's it's really and it's something we've criticised Jodie Whitaker, uh, Jodie Whitaker episodes of, of just slapping you around the face with stuff. Yeah, There's, it's a complete lack of subtlety, mm-hmm. and it feels like whoever wrote it thinks they were being clever, mm. and it's it's a really weird one because there's points in this where I think Michael Gambon puts in a fantastic performance. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's Michael Gambon, you know, you're always going to get a baseline level of quality with him that's going to be very high. But it's one of those where I think the writing and the story really lets him lets him down. Yeah, I agree. Um, because you know he delivers these lines as best he can. Like you know, the very next thing there's a he gets on the phone to the president. And he says, "Look, Petal," which I thought was quite funny. Um, we already have a surplus population, which is very much. Ebenezer Scrooge line there's no more people allowed on this planet and then it, it, that's brilliant and then he says I don't make the rules and he's like oh hang on I do and it's like that, that's it's veering on pantomime yeah it's <sighs> if, if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna be a villain be a villain mm-hmm. we, we don't need a cool heel in this situation what we needed was I mentioned Michael Caine before we need a performance a bit like Michael Caine where he's deadpan serious until he starts to change yeah, and we need it. We need it to be evil. Uh, you know, I said it. I said it's some of it's a bit unnecessary for like a Christmas special. But if you're going to do it, don't half-ass it. Shit, I'll get off the pot. Right. Okay. You know, just if you're going to have him be evil, be evil. The the scene didn't call for any moments of humour or levity mm-hmm. just yet. And you get this kind of garbled mess where it's like we want to do this. Oh, but it's good. It's got to be for for Saturday night, Christmas day. Or whatever, for Christmas, you know, Christmas Day night, whatever. So we can't have it be too bad, yeah. But, but and it just becomes a bit garbled, mm. you know. Because yeah, sorry, I'll, I'll just because ne- on the comic relief thing. Next up, you've got the Doctor entering the room down the chimney. You have the comic relief there. Yes. You may speak. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I think you made some really, really good points there that I 100% agree with. A lot of it did feel forced. A lot of it did feel, you know, the, the whole slapping around the face-esque writing that we get. And this is before we start getting into other aspects that I kind of didn't enjoy. This is literally just the setting of the scene, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think that the, 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 the Scrooge-esque character is... I think the way you described it is spot on, very pantomime. It's so over the top, you kind of lose. It's a ridiculous thing to say because it's a time traveling show about an alien in a blue box and so on. But you almost lose a sense of realism about that character because some of the things that come out of his mouth or some of the lines he's been given are so ridiculous, so crazy, so daft and so... I suppose, so really pushing to be this Scrooge-esque individual, it goes too far. Yeah, but it's not um, its not realism, I don't think. It's, I'm going to say something that I really hate and always sounds pretentious when people say it, but it kind of applies here. It's a sense of immersion and, believe, and believability in the character. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it, it's just, like you say, it's, it's, this is a stupid bloody programme about a time-travelling alien in a blue box. But how often do you get something like a weeping angel, which when you say it out loud, sounds absolutely stupid. But when you're watching it, you're terrified. Yeah. Yeah, it's losing yourself in what's in front of you, isn't it? It's the same. Dan, you and I are both big wrestling fans, and we say all the time that whilst we're watching, we want to have this suspension of disbelief. I think this applies to TV programs, movies, and things as well. Uh, My wife is a big reader, and she's also wrote books herself and so on. And the big thing that she always says about when she really gets into a book she's enjoying is that she wants to feel like she's in that world. So it has to have a certain sense of, even though it's all fiction and it could be, you know, I mean, sci-fi is a perfect example. It's some ridiculous stuff because it is the nature of the beast. There needs to still be that baseline of almost like you can be accepted into that and think that this is 
not realistic, not real, but at least believable from a fiction standpoint to let yourself get engulfed in that story. And I don't yeah. get that. I don't have that with this at all. No, because you've got daft shit like the, the villain trying to provide his own comic relief and then the actual comic relief in the in the hero turning up and, you know, popping off quips about Santa Claus or, or as he's always known him, Jeff, um, you know, flashing off photos of Santa, Fra- the Doctor and Frank Sinatra, uh, sorry, the Doctor and Santa at Frank Sinatra's hunting lodge in 1952 with Einstein. You know, <laughs> it's... And, and this is the era where Matt Smith is very sort of fast-talking, quick-thinking, rambly, you know, th- word salady. I think, is the best way to put it. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just a mess up, I mean, and it, it throws you out of it right at the start. And <laughs> this is going to be such a nerdy complaint. The, the Doctor finds the, the control, this control panel for the, uh, the thing that's sending the beam up into the sky. And... Michael Gambon says the controls are isomorphic, so they only work for him. The Doctor calls him a liar and says there's no such thing, despite the fact the Doctor's already encountered isomorphic controls on the Master's uh, laser screwdriver back in the David Tennant era when John Sim was the Master. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is just bad. Bad continuity, writing. mate. Yeah, bad continuity. That's And it's that way. thing. And it's that thing again, isn't it, where I might not have noticed that um obviously you did but i might not have noticed i might not have picked up on that but i guarantee you charlie did yeah because she is that finicky about all the little details and i I think that's a shame when those sort of things aren't respected yeah yeah and it's when doctors at its best that's what it does really well Mm -hmm. you know like even things like when they're bringing the whole queen elizabeth thing that we've discussed before you know, in with David Tennant, Queen Elizabeth was mad at him for a reason. We don't know why. Yeah. When Matt Smith met Elizabeth X in in the far future, she was saying about, "Oh, well, you know, we know all about you and the first Elizabeth." And then in the fiftieth, they brought it back. You know, they brought it all around. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that's it's what it's, yeah, it, it's great. Um, the doctors now. But back to the story, the Doctor's figured out that they are isomorphic controls. Um, he's clocked Catherine Jenkins in the uh, the cryo chamber, saying that he's never met anybody who isn't important after Kazran's dismissed her. Um, and we do get a little bit of sort of serious Matt Smith, which I always like that switch. Um, Kazran pulls the whole, do you, know, do you know who I am thing? And the Doctor, well, I'm easily bored. Um you know, that's how I don't, that's how I don't know. And explains that there's 4,003 people trapped on the ship who'll die without his help. And he's just like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he says, you don't have to let this happen. He says, no, but I'm going to. And then again, it's Kazran providing his own comic relief where he just goes, bye, bye, bored now. Yeah, it's just, it's either be terrible or be comical. You can't have it both ways, I feel. Especially when you're talking about 4,000 people dying. <laughs> You can. You can be a comedic villain, but it's a very tight line to walk. The dialogue has to be written spot on. There's not much wrong with Gambon's delivery. No, 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 totally. Um, and, you know, I, I look at acting the way I look at wrestling. I'm not an actor, therefore, I, unless it's terribly bad, I, I feel odd criticising somebody's mm-hmm. acting. Yeah. So I'm, I'm more inclined to blame the direction of the script. But, again, you don't need to be the comic relief when the comic relief's there. Mm. And we do get this good switch in the doctor where he says there are 4,003 people that I'm not going to let die tonight. Do you know where that puts you? And he says, where well, it says 4,004. And again, you've got, you've got Kazran trying to, was that a sort of threaty thing? Mm. It's like, ah, oh, okay. It doesn't yeah. work. It doesn't work. It's triad. That's what it is. It's triad. That line as well that you provided there, Dan, it really stands out to me. It's like these 4,003 people are going to die. You know, you don't have to let that happen. And he's just like, meh. There's to me, yeah. there's no, and this is the big stumbling block for me. I think mean, there's no motivation for letting those people die. That was a, that was obvious to me anyway. There's no motivation. Other than, other than him being a dick. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. what I was going to say. Now, yeah. I'm sorry, but that, that's not enough for me. And that's yeah. where I think this, this whole thing falls down. The whole thing in general falls down for me because, the doctor is trying to do this whole elaborate 
uh, you know, Christmas Carol-esque effort, traveling back in time and trying to fix this guy's dad, dad issues. And you got the whole girl in, a, in, in the icebox and all this sort of stuff. And, and, and you know, really elaborate um, plot, I guess, with regards to what he has to do to save these people. But he's fighting against a motivation that is kind of nonsense. There is no real... It's not like when you see, oh, the master is going to let these hundreds and hundreds of people die because then he will benefit this way. Mm. Or the Daleks are going to wipe out all these people because then they get the planet. This this guy, he's literally just a case of, ah, whatever. And to me, that doesn't work. If, if, the, if the villain has no motivation... To me, the whole thing falls down. In a, Chris, in a Christmas Carol, Ebenezer Scrooge's motivation for being a dick is that he loves money mm-hmm. and hates Christmas. Yep. And that's in every version. Yeah. In this, the writers have sat down and nobody's thought, what is the, what is the evil here? What is the, the motivation behind the evil? And it, it becomes, what is the doctor, what is the big evil that the doctor's facing? It's just that Kazran's a bit of a foot trumpet. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly spot on. It is the whole, the whole, everything he's got to do to get this, to, to resolve this situation, everything he's got to do to resolve this, this issue and this plot in front of him is big, elaborate. There's a lot going on. But it all stems down to just a bloke going, oh, well. He could have just punched him in the face. Yeah, it's just so. <laughs> The whole, the whole story, every scene that we get, all the elaborate stage sets, the effects, the everything that's going on, all the stuff that we see from this moment onwards is based upon the most weak plot motivation I think we've come across yet. Yeah, quite possibly. And it's just, it, it's, they put a lot of effort into Kazran's relationship with his father. Mm-hmm. They put a lot of effort into the world itself. They yes. put a lot of effort into the family history and how they quote unquote tamed the sky. It might be shit, but the effort was there. Mm-hmm. They padded it out. They got they got the point across. The job they were doing was you know it, it didn't land with me, but they tried. You can see where the effort went. But underpinning it all is is that is having a poor relationship with your dad and getting slapped around really enough of a, a motivation to let 4,000 strangers die. Like well, I say, I'll tell you just... what, that's a really good point because it's almost like they've got half of an idea and it's not panned out for me. And this is just coming to me now because of what you've said has sort of made it pop in my, my head. You look, at, you look at certain serial killers, for example, a lot of it stems back to relationships with their parents or okay we'll look at another uh, we'll look at other acts or works of fiction then look for example at tv shows like these american cop shows criminal minds for example or something like that they're catching some sick little dude who's going around cutting up girls who look like his mum or there's there's some really (laughs) weird perverse sexual motivation and all this sort of stuff but ultimately there is a reason for them doing not saying it's right or anything like that but there is a reason for them acting in that certain way now it's almost like you've got half of that idea here he had an abusive father but his response to that doesn't match the abuse he got yeah does that make sense uh, i get to yeah i mean i get taking out on the world to a degree but yeah it's it's disproportionate i think is the term yeah yeah there you go spot on yeah um, but with that, we, we get into that in the story now because the, what, the kid who was with the family throws a rock at Kazran's head and he goes to backhand him, mm-hmm. but hesitates. And he, he gets them all kicked out. The doctor hands back and then hangs back and asks him why he didn't hit the boy. And we get this sort of detective moment for, from the doctor where he's saying, um, saying about the chairs, there's a portrait on the wall that's, that's too old to be Kazran, so it's his dad. All the chairs are angled away from it. Dad's been dead for 20 years, but still can't get comfortable under his gaze. There's a Christmas tree in the painting, but not in the house. Mm. And therefore deduces that Kazran's scared of him and scared of being like him. And good for him because he didn't hit the boy, but he's still willing to let 4,000 people die, which is, yeah. uh, again, dispro- which just sort of hammers home the disproportionateness of it all. Um, yeah, it's 
he orders Kazran gets Doctor kicked out and takes the uh, takes orders his servants to take Catherine Jenkins back downstairs and clean the mess up, and that's where we leave that story. And it's all very, eh. Yes, I'm already at this point watching this back, thinking this is this is not very good already, and we've not even got to the bits that I really didn't like. <laughs> yeah, well, we're back on the we're back on the ship at this point. Everything's offline. Uh, the secondary furnace is just vented, which, as you know, as we're well aware, is is not good. Um, no, no, of course. You, you never want to be venting your secondary furnace while you're still in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, the doctor's giving Amy an update on everything. She calls him out online, says, "Don't treat her like an idiot for you know saying it's going to be fine." But then she does exactly the same thing to Rory, so hypocrite. Um, you know, which again, that that whole relationship's odd. Um, yes. The doctor's found the machine to clear the skies, but he's not allowed near it. Um, he gets told about the fish, and uh, he says oh, every time Kazran uh, gets in a mood, he, uh, he lets a few of the fish through the cloud layer. And they're like, what? Yeah, what? Well, and this is where I've got some real issues with this. <laughs> because it's bollocks. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we meant just just for a bit of clarity for everyone listening. We said before we pressed record today that this may not be an episode of a usual length and so on because what we're talking about is pretty crap. And obviously, Dan's unwell, and I've still got a bit of the sniffles and a cough and and so on. But there are certain things that have to be covered, and this fish thing is one of them. It's it's bollocks, isn't it? It's absolute fucking nonsense. What the hell? I don't get it. I don't understand. Um, somebody, I think, on the writing staff wanted this in an episode, and this was the one that decided to do it. Steve Moffat, the guy, he was scared of... Um, what I read earlier today was that this he had nightmares about this as a kid, or this gave him nightmares as a child, so he wanted it written into the into a story but i don't know i don't know whether that applies to he was scared of fish or scared of sharks or Or scared scared of flying flying fish fish. i don't know i I couldn't find any more about that when i was a child i had a nightmare about a shape-shifting frankenstein that was yelling i need a poo chasing me is that um (laughs) that's that's genuine (laughs) but just because i had a dream about it doesn't mean it should be a villain in an episode of doctor who a constipated shape-shifting frankenstein Honestly, if the candy man can make it to TV, that can. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm, I'm glad you're laughing at my childhood trauma. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that is objectively funny, though. I was terrified when I woke up as well. Um, yeah, I was about I wonder, if I, I wonder if I can make a T-shirt for that. <laughs> it, 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 it's, just a, it's just an object of humour now. Um, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the doctor's then got fish like nibbling his fingers, and we see a big shadow in the background. So we're foreshadowing stuff for you know, literally with a shadow. Yeah. Um. The, and then it's that bit I mentioned before where the music starts playing, and it's a it's a Christmas carol, and he says it multiple times. Oh, okay, fine. We get it. We get what you're doing. We've already seen the episode title. We know what this is going to be. You don't have to. It's it's telling, not showing. Mm-hmm. Like I've said before. Yep. Where it's just. It's taking the point and just look like some like somebody with a glove wanting a duel in the eighteen you know eighteen hundreds right around your chops and so, it's shit. Okay, coming back to the fish, then we've got flying fish, yeah, and flying sharks, and yeah, I don't get it. I don't. So the, 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 yeah, and there's no explanation as to why it's there. It's just it's literally explained away of this is just what this planet is like. Okay, I, I think I can accept that, but the fact that they're, you know, because we have, we have that, don't we? We have we have even going back to sixties. Who it was like, okay, yeah, this is just the way this planet is. Okay, fair enough. It's just it's a different planet. We get situations like that, but I feel there are times when certain things need explaining, and one of them being flying fucking fish. Well, they do they do have a bit of wee wee beep boop around about this later on when the doctor sneaks into a twelve year old's bedroom um, while his older self is watching. <laughs> looking on mortified and not remembering being there. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's something to do with like... <laughs> a big time travelling nonce. Yeah. 
Shock that off on your bingo cards, folks. Yeah. You oh, pull the uh, for a nonce. <laughs> well, he, he sneaks into a 12-year-old's bedroom. Um, it's, yeah, it's something to do with ice clouds and electromagnetic fields that allows the fish, the fish to fly and it's still moisture in the air so they can use the gills or some shit like that. Right, okay. Um, but yeah, so adult cars ran to sleep in his chair having a dream about when he was 12 and a half and he was setting up a special project and his dad's storming him, calling him, calling him a stupid, ignorant child and smacking him about. He wants to make a film with a fish and um, and all the rest of it. And his dad says, oh, you're, it was also played by Gambon, saying, oh, you'll be singing to them next like the gypsies. Um, because, so Kat, young Kazran wants to film the fish because he's never seen them. Right. But then insists that the singing will work as he's seen it happen. How has he seen the singing work if he hasn't seen the fish? Oh, yeah. It's another fucking bit of just nonsense. Yep, stupid little plot hole. Um, but essentially, Kaz, older Kazran wakes up and his dream is now being projected onto the wall because the doctor recovered the data using quantum enfolding in a paperclip, which, as we all know, is the way to crack those types of uh, uh, yeah. camera drives. You know, it's, it's yeah, just blatantly obvious. And yeah, he's show, just showing him his past, and he, he outright says he's the ghost of Christmas past. Here is the point. Slap me around the face with it. I He just whips the point out and slaps you right across the chops <laughs> with it. <laughs> I wouldn't object to that. I wouldn't object to having the doctor. When, when it's a Christmas called a Christmas Carol, and you know you you sort of got this. Ebenezer Scrooge type character at the very beginning. I was fully expecting it to be the Doctor using the TARDIS, using his time travel powers to be the ghost of Christmas past, present, future, and so on. I was fully expecting that to it to it to be not a, a scene for scene or word for word copy of the original Christmas Carol, but yeah. a very close sort of take off of that. There's an episode mm. of Quantum Leap where Sam and Al in quantum leap act like the ghosts of christmas past and future and, and all that sort of stuff to affect somebody in that show and i really enjoy that episode because it's a takeoff of a really well-known popular story but mm. done within the confines of the program i enjoy this here i don't mind it being slap you across the face we're doing this but they don't they're slapping you across the face and saying we're going to do a Christmas Carol, but they don't actually do a Christmas Carol, and I think that's another issue that I dislike about it. Because they're trying to they're trying to be too clever by half with it, really. Yes. When he says he's been the ghost of Christmas past, he the Doctor literally goes into the past, sneaks into the boy's bedroom. Well, I say sneaks. He just pilots the TARDIS, appears as his older self is watching, and they're just going, what, "I don't remember this happening." And then he's he's fucking with this guy's memory mm. and making. That bit I didn't ones. mind. As well, I it was pretty cool to see yeah, that whole toying with timelines kind of thing again. It's kind of up my street. And I, I, don't, I don't mind that so much. Yeah. And he outright says, your past is going to change. That means your memories will change too. Scary, but you'll get the hang of it. Fine. No problem mm -hmm. with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's jumping on, <laughs> he's jumping on young Kazran's bed and he says, why are you climbing in the window? And he says, because if I was climbing out the window, I'd be going in the wrong direction. <laughs> Which was a pretty fun line. Yeah, I didn't mind that. But there's, there's so much stuff here now and flitting between past and present. And, and it's all basically to get the, get to the point that the Kazran family control the machine that controls the sky and keeps the fish at bay. Mm. Otherwise, they'd be all sorts in the streets and they've basically found a way to make the world habitable. Um and he's never seen, again, says that he's never seen a fish before, despite arguing that he's seen them some too. Um, and the doctor rigs up something to to catch, essentially catch a fish. Now, what I've just recapped there in my notes, because I'm obsessive, actually took 354 words just to get the basics of what was going on. And there was so much unnecessary dialogue some that was you know the doctor just being the doctor where he's you know like jumping on the bed and saying so i'm in a 12 year old's bedroom what we're going to do eat crisps and talk about girls um yeah yeah uh, flashes out the uh, the psychic paper saying he's universally recognized a responsible adult looks at it and it's just wiggly lines and he says oh finally i lie too big 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's there's some good bits in there, but it just again makes it, it's all just so dense and just does not not a lot of it lands. No, um, no, not at all. I mean, okay. yeah. Go on, sorry. Uh, I never. We said about jumping around a little bit, didn't we, and, and so on to sort of cover what we're, we're we're discussing. I think we need to talk about Catherine Jenkins as well in this. She plays the the girl in the ice block in the in the container, doesn't she? Yeah. She's in this. She's in this big bit of Tupperware tucked away in the freezer, <laughs> and um, this is an again another big issue I have with this because this is a Christmas show that kids are going to watch. The, the whole the Kazran the the younger Kazran is obsessed with this this girl isn't he he he, he loves her it's oh, it's like love at first sight she's because she's a fully grown adult who's been on ice for God knows how many years it turns mm-hmm. out decades and he is twelve you know yes. twelve and a half coming up thirteen just about hitting puberty you know he, he's at the is it the if I sit on the wrong place on the bus over the wheel, I'm probably going to get a boner on the way to school? <laughs> <laughs> You're laughing because we've all done it. Yeah. <laughs> and he's but confronted it's... by Catherine Jenkins, who is a beautiful woman. She just is. Um, but it, it's all, it's all a little bit weird because yeah. she she comes out of the freezer once once a year every Christmas Eve. And for him, obviously, it's been years looking forward to these days and and, and years of build up. She just won. She just wakes up. For her, it's probably been a few days, mm-hmm. and then eventually he's grown up, and she's just like, "Well, I'm out the freezer. He's grown up. That'll do." Yeah, it's a bit weird. It was isn't it? It, it was, a, it was a child a few hours ago in my time, but mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's it's not that that is a little bit off. It's not a good look. But also, there's the aspect of every time she leaves the freezer, the countdown clock ticks down one, doesn't it? Yeah. And we, we're never quite told whether that's how long she has to live, how many years she has, or how long she has to serve in there, or, or what. And it's just, it's what it needs to be for the sake of the plot at any given time. See, I uh, took it as she's going to die. When that yeah. hits zero, well, she she's is, dead. She is. She was sick yeah. when she went in the ice. Um, but we don't find that out until later on. And to my, to my memory, we never get a full resolution whether there's actually a cure or not. Well, this is the thing that I was going to come to when I said about it being a, a Christmas show on Christmas Day. For It's a family show in theory, isn't it? I mean, we're, we're fully grown men, but, you know, children watch it and so on as well. It's Christmas Day, for fuck's sake. And we're dealing with a guy who got beaten by his dad is now grumpy as fuck and going to let 4,000 people die. And then the woman... A terminally ill paedophile. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and this, this, this Nazi singer who's going to be... Who basically, at the end of it, is allowed to... Because Christmas Eve, she comes out, and then she goes back in again Christmas night, Christmas Eve night, doesn't she? She never sees yeah. Christmas Day. Out for a few hours. Yeah. Um, her last day... When they've t- when she's explained about that she's ill, she's sick, whatever, and she hasn't got long and all that sort of stuff. The last time they bring her out, they allow her to see Christmas Day, and it's very hint- strongly hinted at, or the premise is effectively that she is then going to die. Yeah. Now I'm thinking, okay, the doctor is going to fix this because it's Christmas, but he doesn't. So we just uh, it, she just fucking dies. How is that Christmassy? Well, she was riding a shark chariot in the sky at the time. Ah, of course. There we go. That's the spirit of Saint Nick right there, isn't it? Fuck yep. me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's just weird. And we, 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 get, we get more nonsense, and they, they even call it out themselves. I thought, or is this, is this just my notes? Um, because the doctor just is in the cupboard with young Kazran and recording himself so that Kazran can watch it back when he's older. And as they're trying to catch a fish. Yeah. And again, just, just more pointless exposition about how there was a, a, a not a flood but you know there's loads of fish going around the school and and shit like that and it's just okay fine okay great mm. um a little fish is there you know on the you know the because the doctor's got the sonic screwdriver pulsing away and trying to attract them and this is the way we beat but it's a crystalline fog carrying a small electrical charge allowing them to fly but i just added the bit about the gills um i don't know <laughs> if that's right 
right, wrong, or indifferent. It must be because they're fish. They need to be able to survive yeah. that way, don't they? Yeah. Um, and the Doctor's using that idea to, you know, this theory on the fog and how to land the ship and, and all the rest. And then Boomer Shark, because as we learned from Star Wars Episode One, which you've probably never seen, there's always a bigger fish, to quote Qui-Gon Jinn. I've never seen that. Hang on, is that the one with the wobbly dude? What's his name? Me. No, not bad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, uh, oh, uh, vo- vo- voiced by Brian Blessed. Um, I can't remember his name now. The thing. No, everyone hated him. Binks, Dinks. Oh, Jar Jar Binks. Yeah, him. He was in that yeah, one, wasn't he? Is that one. Yeah, he's that one. Yeah, I have seen that yeah. one. Hey. Yeah, good didn't enjoy you. it. No, uh, the, be- the best bits were the pod racing scene in Darth Maul. Because mm. he, he had a double ender. He had a uh, double ender. Light lightsaber, that is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the virtual life scene's a bit different. <laughs> Star Hawks. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, yeah, the uh, the doctor's there, and then the shark's trying to get in, and the shark gets lodged in a cupboard doorway, and the doctor says something along the lines of, I hope, uh, you know, he's got half the screwdriver in it, and doctor says, I hope, I can, I hope that's holding his mouth open, because I've only got two shots at this, and then it's your turn. To young Kazran, and because he's going to just stick his arm in, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, why not? The doctor says Geronimo, and then they're outside. The doctor's got half a screwdriver, and the shark's dying. And then the young boy's crying because he wanted to kill it. He didn't want to kill it. Um, they just decided to use the cryogenic unit, uh, the cryo units. That gets is, more sadness. Yeah, it's more sad stuff because the shark's dying, so the little boy's upset. This isn't Christmassy. This is horrible. Yeah, yeah, more sadness. But they save the shark um, because the doctor does some time traveling and gets the code as Kazran shouting it at the screen. Um, yeah, it's the, the there's something about a fog lake and the they decide to use Catherine Jenkins' pod um, because she loves the fish. But how does anybody know that? Mm. Um, we see a recording saying who she is. Her name's Abigail Pettigrew, and well, it turns out young Kazran's been watching this as a kid, but he's forgotten it as an adult, so again, another little plot hole. Yeah, that um, makes zero sense at all. Yeah, um, she loves the fish, blah, blah, blah. It's all for, you know, their collateral and blah, 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 blah. Um, the doctor's half a screwdriver's trying to repair itself and signaling for the other half, and that means the shark jumps out of the fog at them because it's kind of okay now. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the shark can gra- <laughs> the shark can growl apparently, which is weird. Yeah, sharks don't growl, man. Yeah, and then we hear uh, you've got Catherine Jenkins, so she's got to sing. Um, she's singing in the bleak midwinter, and the shark and stroking the shark. Not you. See, this is one of those moments again with the silly flying fish. That was a big issue I had. Right. Mm. I didn't. I didn't like that at all. That's one of the big problems I had. All the sadness in the episode, people you know, die, you know, an important character effectively dying and, and all this sort of stuff. It's not Christmassy at all. The next big thing I've got, and this is my own personal preference. I'm not saying it's terrible or bad. This is my own personal preference, right? Yeah. I ain't about all the singing, mate. <laughs> I mean, it's Catherine Jenkins. She's got a good voice. She, you know, they had to show on it. Mm. And, you know, they try some wee wee beep boop saying that the notes resonate in the ice causing a delta wave pattern and then a fish bites him that we can't see. And Kazran's telling him to shut up. It's because they're biting him because he's interrupting the singing. Um, the machine manipulates vibrations. He gets bit again. And she starts singing again and her portrait appears in older Kazran's office. Because, and we get a montage of various bits and pieces you know she's in the TARDIS and it's amazing he says oh no that's transport same amazing for out here and they're in the cloud and older Kazran's got this chest with all these memories and photographs in it and younger Kazran saying that the doctor will come every year on Christmas Eve Um, and again it's it's more montage of you know time ticking down on a pod and various bits and pieces using the shark to pull the chariot in the sky Um, and just yeah just a load of crap and you know she every time the pod opens she's saying doctor 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 yeah until he's assuming i'm a, i'm assuming he's over 18 and 
she clocks him and she's like, hmm. Yeah, we are, yeah. Oh. It's, all it's, it's low hanging fruit today, mate. I'm, 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 starting, I'm starting to flag. Um, you, Sarah Jane. <laughs> oh, don't, make me, don't make me laugh, it hurts. Okay. <laughs> oh, it makes it. it this is the annoying thing about migraines. What if you laugh or strain too hard or, or but just overexert yourself in any way, your brain just goes. Poof. Feels like trying to burst, and laughter is one of them. Unfortunately, all right, um, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Fuck it, it'll be right. It's not killed me yet. Um, but they do a few of these Christmas eves, and then decide to she wants to go see her family, which took a, a fair while. Yeah, I don't understand why that wasn't one of the first things that said. I mean, to be fair, she's been confronted with the TARDIS in all of time and space. Mm. So, you know, is your first thought going to be to go down the road? No, but it's your family, isn't it? And and the way it's portrayed, because we get a scene then, don't we, where they go they go and see the family. Yeah. And it is portrayed like they are a very close-knit group. And, uh, that, you know, they're mm. all family. They love each other. They're all very close. I look at that scene and look at her relationship with the family and so on. And think that would come up earlier, surely. Yeah, you'd have thought so, given the character, but the plot, yeah. didn't, the plot didn't need it, so they'd rather establish the they'd rather establish the horniness first. Yeah, mm. <laughs> mm. Mm. yeah. Um, you know, the, you know, she does see a family on Christmas Eve. They decide to have Christmas dinner that night, which fair enough. Yeah, Abby and Kaz are holding hands under the table. Oh, isn't it cute? Uh, it's a bit weird. It's a bit weird. Um, it's a bit yeah. weird. They go back to the take her back after the doctor's done some card tricks terribly, and uh, Abby wants to say Abby wants to say goodbye to Kazran alone, and the doctor's you know this sort of socially inept doctor doesn't pick up on it awkwardly exit exits and Kazran's just like oh shit what do I do and you know he's never kissed a girl before so like says, the doctor has a great line says try being awkward and nervous and a little bit shaky because you're going to be like that anyway may as well make it part of the plan brilliant yeah um, and that's it and it's more looking at pictures and it's California in 1952 in Hollywood and they're at Frank Sinatra's uh, house you know like I said before okay great um What's up? Oh, Abigail's getting all sad at the pool, and she's got something to tell him, and um, she's got to tell him that you know a very bad thing, and it's the truth. And the doctor's interrupting, and he's accidentally got engaged to Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> that bit I did enjoy. Oh, that was quite cool. Yeah, um, yeah, and he tries to interrupt Abigail and Kazran kissing, but they just ignore him. So that he storms off in a huff and tells Marilyn to get a coat. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we get a tearful goodbye between Kazran and Abigail uh, she's locked in the cryo chamber and he, Kazran tells the doctor not to bother next year Christmas is for kids he needs to focus on his work yeah and it's, it's quite a turn isn't there here where you can see that the young Kazran becoming the older version I suppose in, in attitude yeah. at least it's, it's the bitterness creeping back in and yeah you know the whole lost love and all this and, and anger this kind of makes a little bit more sense of why he's angry at the world or angry at the universe for you know he's delivered this woman into his life and, and turns out she's she's got a day left mm. and you can half see how that had turned someone you know, yeah, I can fully appreciate that, not, but not but, to the point that they let four thousand and three other people die. Yeah, again, it's it's not the the end product doesn't match up with the cause of what is making this happen does it yeah exactly exactly um yeah elder kazran goes and finds half the sonic screwdriver in his drawer on you know almost presses it you know almost signals but um he gets another call from the president. It says it's not going to crash on my house. So what's it got to do with me? It's like yes, I know four thousand and four thousand and three. As a very old friend of mine once took a very long time to explain, life isn't fair. Mm. It's just yeah. bitter, but uh, it's, again, I keep coming back to it. It doesn't match his his reasoning for being that way. Doesn't match the end product at all. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Mm. He's looking at Abigail's picture and he sort of softens and looks at the Sonic and it's a it's a really good mixture of sort of love and anger in his face, which I thought was a good moment from from Gambon. And then a hologram of Amy appears, saying she's the ghost of Christmas present. 
okay and he's like ghost dressed like that and, and Rory appears to tell him to stop looking at the skirt at a skirt uh, unnecessary yeah um, um, more unnecessary comic relief where Kazman's saying you turn into a room she's like yeah I do that sometimes and then she says she also does this and we hear Silent Night drifting in um, oh the Kazran's in the vault and there's a bunch of people singing and they're holograms of people on the ship and they're singing for the lives um, which is an odd one but you know mm-hmm. it's a power uh, I suppose it's kind of a powerful image yeah no, yeah. the, the imagery and, and that and the singing the song and all that yeah it's a powerful moment it's just what goes along with it and the, the the phrase that I use quite often on this show is Amy and Rory nonsense or Amy and Rory bullshit. No, we have Amy, not Amy and Rory nonsense. No, 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 no. <laughs> but we have Amy and Rory bullshit. Yeah. When they're trying to save the lives of 4,000 people and stuff, it's just like, oh, that whole thing you said about Rory appearing and talking about the skirt, you're, you're spot on. It's not needed. Don't have it in there. It's, yeah. It just makes, it's comic relief that isn't really funny in completely the wrong moment. Mm. Yeah, it really is. Um, Amy's asking about which one Abigail is and then saying that the Doctor doesn't hold back. Kazran asks about meeting him tonight and now he's known him all his life. Why? Because he's the only one that can save the ship. And the Kazran basically says uh, time can be rewritten but people can't. Um, well, what comes to say? This is the thing, I can't remember it now. I'll try and cast it out of my mind. Um, it, yeah, it's... <sighs> It basically ends up with Catherine Jenkins singing the ship to safety, doesn't it? Effectively. Yeah, I think just after that, Amy's Amy's because Amy's still talking. They're still going on about all this, um, about you know Abigail being ill and life not being fair, and the, and Kazran blaming the Doctor, um, and then Amy pointing out that Abigail has more time left than anyone on the ship, which is a great point. Um, more projections appear, so more projections appear, and then he's on the ship. He's the hologram now. They've worked it in reversed. Yeah, so they're back in the ice vault, and they're talking about Abigail, and you know, all, all Kazran's life was called heartless. The doctor rewrote him, and now he's. They're trying to argue basically better a broken heart than no heart at all, and Kazran just simply says, "You try it." Well, fair point. Yeah, um, saying you know he's not finished with him yet, and he'll. He says time to see the future. He says, "Fine, do it. I'll die cold, alone, and afraid." We all do. What difference does it make showing me? Um, it's and he just keeps going on about saying he just doesn't care. He's not like him. He doesn't want to be like the doctor. He doesn't and never will care. And mm. the doctor says he doesn't believe it. And he says, "Well, prove me wrong." And he says, "I'm showing you right now." And the doctor's brought younger Kazran to see old Kazran. Which is the ghost of so Kazran becomes his own ghost of Christmas future. Yeah, which which, which is a clever little twist, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, it's okay. It, it's a bit <laughs> over. It's a little bit overthought. I suppose it's quite clever. Mm. Um, and young Kazran looks at older Kazran and says, "Dad." Yeah. Oh dear. Yeah. Older Kazran goes to hit younger Kazran, but then he remembers Abigail and he can't, and he starts apologising to his younger self. But he's interacting with his younger self, and I thought that caused a paradox. Yeah, it, it, it's not supposed to happen, is it? You know. No. But again, it's that thing of certain aspects happen because they have to happen, as opposed to happening because they make sense in this. Mm. Yeah, it's it's just weird. Mm. Um, but that's enough to snap all the Kazran out of it, basically. But it's too yeah, much. He, does, he doesn't bit... want to become this this person he's seeing, does he? Mm. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and then they're trying to do some wee will beat boop with the machine and set up a resonation pattern between the two halves of the screwdriver that's still trying to repair itself, or some bollocks. Um... <laughs> or some bollocks. <laughs> and it's, isn't it? it's just crap. Yeah, And it is. then they decide that they're going to... Because Kazran's been changed too much, the controls don't work for him anymore, because... Okay, apparently they're not DNA locked. It's somewhere else. So yeah, you need it doesn't to really make sense, does it? No, it's, it's shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they've got Catherine Jenkins, so they wanted to sing more. Um, they argue about letting her out, and if you had one last day with your beloved, which day would you choose? Blah 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 blah. And she somehow got out the fucking pod, and she starts singing, and. She's you know sorry she doesn't start singing right away. First thing she does is say that Kazran looks old. 
um, which is, <laughs> is charming. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, she points out he's been hoarding her days like an old miser. Um, and it, it, they've had so many t- uh, Christmas Eves, it's time for a Christmas day. Mm-hmm. Um, the ship starts nose diving, the scene comes over the radio, the clouds subside in calm. Um, she, she's got a bloody lovely voice. Um, but I don't know what song she's singing. Uh, no idea. It was written but, especially for her, apparently, for this for this episode. Ah, uh, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's shite, but it was written for her. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Once you know the bow bang on about one song filling the sky, the crystals align. Uh, we will beat boom. Doctor feeds in a controlled phase loop, and the clouds unlock. Okay. Uh, that starts snowing because, of course, it does. Because ice in it. Uh, um, the ship stabilises Rory has a bitch about the Doctor getting all the credit uh, he quickly folds when people are like well yeah it's, again more yeah. Rory crap yeah yeah um, and we just have everybody it all comes to a, a, a conclusion um, there's a few little quip between Rory and the Doctor and, and there's meant to be light hearted banter but this comes across as forced Um say about the honeymoon ideas and the doctor says what about a moon made out of honey and he says well it's not technically honey it's not te- technically a moon and it's technically alive and slightly carnivorous um, which was vaguely amusing um, yeah and then Kazran and Abby ride off in the uh, the shark chariot it was oh sorry one more thing uh, Rory's on the phone and says the phone was ringing someone called Marilyn huh. um, which that, yeah. that bit that bit's okay that bit's okay yeah, but it's, it's not a happy ending. Um, no, because she goes off to fucking die. Uh, at which point, Kazran probably becomes a right miserable little bastard again. Yeah. It's, oh, it's just... This is this is the least Christmassy Christmas special I've ever seen, and the least Christmassy Christmas special we'll probably ever record. I think this is the worst thing we've watched for the show. I think yes. this is the worst thing we've watched for the podcast. We're on our third season. We've seen some things we really didn't enjoy, some things that were really badly written, some things that were badly acted, some things that yeah. had terrible plots, whatever. I think this outdoes all of them. This is the worst thing I think we have seen done. Yeah, I think you're right, dude. This is the worst thing we've watched, and I chose it knowing it would be. <laughs> you complete dick. <laughs> well, you picked Vampires of Venice. I did. Uh, I did. So, but on the bright side, it means that surely the only way is up. Um, you know wow. what we're going to watch from here on. Well, with that in mind, Dan. Next week, what are we looking at on the show? <sighs> this is another one of your fuck ups. Um, what do you mean? Well, another no, one of my wait, fuck ups? No, it's Tell not. Us. Sorry, no. I'm thinking. I'm thinking of the week after. Yeah, I'm thinking of the week after next week. We're actually looking at something really, really good. Uh, we're going to be looking at David Tennant, uh, the David Tennant episode, uh, the girl in the fireplace. Yes, yes, I enjoyed that. Charlie enjoyed that. I know you've enjoyed that. It's, it's, it's like you said, the only way is up. <laughs> uh, yeah, the only way is up. Girl in the fireplace is an absolute classic in my view. I'm very excited to get into it. Yes, and it, it is infinitely better than this i don't know if anybody got this but we're not really wrapping up our final thoughts because we both think this is a bag of bollocks exactly. um, so join us at least we hope we've mildly entertained you uh, at least by <laughs> by our rundown of it uh, with our late christmas oh, special it's um, not very yeah. good <laughs> no, it's cat wank it is indeed. Dan, before we depart then, John, let everybody know whereabouts they can find you online and all the shows you're involved in. Yeah, I'll keep this brief because, as I say, I'm, I'm flagging quite badly now. Um, you can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21, uh, tweeting about Doctor Wrestling movies, all the usual shit. Uh, you can hear me on Unbooking the Territory, uh, the, uh, which is the first and last uh, professional wrestling podcast. Uh, we're available, fucking on, screwing this right up. Uh, that's on Twitter at UTT Podcast. And our side project, Unbooking the Tank Atari, where we look at the career of Tank Abbott, is uh, at UTT Tank all brilliant stuff uh you can follow anything i'm involved in on the network that carries this show at sjp world media and that's on facebook and twitter and all your podcast providers as well so give us a like a follow a subscribe all that good stuff uh but most importantly you can follow this show itself and that's at the doctor who pod that's at the drwhopod at the doctor who pod on twitter and facebook uh dan before i let you go i just want to say you're an absolute 
absolute fucking trooper. <laughs> got through this. I can I can literally see how poorly you are. It's awesome that we've got this episode recorded. I was incredibly underprepared because of a uh, family stuff coming up today when I was supposed to be rewatching the episode. You've carried it through, even though you're incredibly poorly. You know, and I hope everyone listening, um, you know, appreciates y- your efforts, my friend. Oh, you're too kind, so I thank you very much. Um, yeah, it was a bit, it didn't end up being a bit of a soldier through, didn't it? I didn't think I'd, uh, I didn't think I'd turn that badly, but there we are. I think I'm going to blame, uh, I'm going to blame the writing of this episode for, uh, yeah. for that. It's enough, it's enough to make anyone else. <laughs> and I will speak to you next week, Bud, for a nice bit of David Tennant. Oh, can't wait, buddy. See you then. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. It's so Peter with this episode. <laughs> Well, stay still and shut up. Not- All right. <laughs> stay, 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 stay still, shut up, and let what's going to happen happen. Fucking hell, sign. <laughs> no, I mean Toby. <laughs> He's wanking uh, at the camera. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck's sake. Right, okay, you ready? Why is, why is there a cat in the room? <laughs> hey, a man's personal kinks are his own personal kinks, okay? <laughs> Not bestiality. <laughs> Mate, sometimes the map porn I watch, it takes a, it takes some really odd shit to get me off. Okay, <laughs> is it still bestiality if the cat's just watching? Sorry, is it still bestiality if the cat's just watching and doesn't get any jizz on it? I don't know, but I mean, I wouldn't know because I cake him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's why they call him Krusty Toby. <laughs> Krusty Toby on Tobes. <laughs> anyway, shall we begin? <laughs> just, just getting in the mood. All right. Three, two, one.